There was a woman who was sitting at her window, opening her mail. When she opened a letter, and out fell a $10 bill. As she read the note accompanying the money, she looked out the window and saw a poorly dressed man on the street below. Touched by the sight and filled with compassion, she placed that $10 bill in an envelope and then wrote on the outside of the envelope, Don't despair. Don't despair. She then tossed the envelope out the window down to this man. The man picked up the envelope, he read the words, don't despair, opened it, looked at the $10 bill, smiled, tipped his hat, and went on his way. The next day, there was a knock at the woman's door, and when she opened the door, there stood the man she had given the money to the day before. He was standing there holding out a handful of cash to her. Well, what's this? She asked. And the man said, lady, that's your cut. Don't despair paid five to one at the horse races yesterday. <laughs> Don't despair. Don't despair. Let me ask you, do you know or have you ever felt in despair, hopeless, disappointed as to how things are turning out in your life? Well, we're looking at the man Joseph, Genesis chapter 39 this morning, we're only two chapters in, and we have seen this young man go through an awful lot. Joseph's life is like the game of shoots and ladders. That's a dreadful game. I mean, an enjoyable game. You're going along just fine when you land on a chute, a slide that takes you down several, several spaces. But there are the ladders you can land on to lift you back up several spaces toward the finish. And sometimes you can get all the way to the top. Remember, parents? You get all the way to the top near the finish when you land on another chute that sends you all the way down where you were closer to where you started. And I don't know if you ever did this as a parent, but when I got to that end, if my child was up to that end and they spun that thing, whatever that number was, I was taking them home. They were going finish, right? I'm not going down that chute again. Never. Never. That's the dreadful part of it. Well, listen, Joseph's life is like that, but it wasn't a game. It wasn't a game. He goes up and he goes down. His ups are really good and his downs are really bad. He goes from the pit to promotion, to prosperous, to being propositioned, and by the end of the chapter today, he's going to be in prison. All of this happens before he reaches his 25th birthday. All right, if you're not there, look at me at Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39, and we'll be looking at verses 13 through 23 this morning as we continue in our sermon series on the Master's Design. That God is weaving all the threads together for, God, for Joseph's good to accomplish his purposes. And in the master's design, there's a, we've seen the thread of the broken home, the thread of adversity, the thread of success, and today it's the thread of unfair treatment. We might say, being wronged for doing right. Being wronged for doing right. 
And we ended last week, you recall, with Joseph doing the right thing. And in our way of thinking, if you do the right thing, you will be rewarded for it. Life will go better for you if you do the right thing. But what happens when it doesn't? Doesn't it seem so unfair when someone does what is right and is treated so wrong? Well, that might be your story. Or the story might be someone else that you know. Well, it was Joseph's story, and if Joseph was in our church, we might send him that text, note that says, don't despair. Don't despair. All right, Genesis 39, 13 through 23. Let me give you the takeaway up front. Uh, It's this. When you are confused by the immediate results, trust that God who sees the bigger picture will reward you in due time. When you are confused by the immediate results, trust that God who sees the bigger picture will reward you in due time. Genesis 39, 13 through 23. My first heading this morning is the man who had the run of the house is run out of the house. The one who had the run of the house is run out of the house. Remember from last week, uh, Joseph under Potiphar was in charge of the whole household. He had run of the house. And you recall from last week that Joseph encountered a very powerful woman who was used to getting her own way. No one said no to her except Joseph. And his pathway to success, as we talked about last week, was being resolved, realistic, and radical about temptation. He was resolved in his resistance to her coming on to him day after day. He was realistic in choosing not to even be with her. He was radical in that when she cornered him, he ran out of the house. He left his cloak, but he kept his integrity. He left his cloak, but he kept his integrity. In the end, Joseph did what was right. His reward... Verse 13, when she, Potiphar's wife, she doesn't have a name, you can give her a name, just don't give her a name of someone you know, it might be a little awkward, she doesn't have a name, we call her Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, whatever you want there, but but she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand, had run out of the house, she called her household servants, look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to make us brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Lies, lies, sweet little lies. She lies, and she's spreading lies about Joseph damaging his reputation. Because he will be seen as guilty by all until proven innocent. That's how it works here. Someone said a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes. You see, if a lie is believed, sometimes only for even an hour, it can accomplish its purpose. Why? Why, Mrs. Potiphar, are you doing this? Why this fabrication? Why can't you just leave Joseph alone? I know he rejected you, but just leave the alone. But you see, often, personal rejection is met by hostility. You can't get what you wanted when you wanted it, and you respond with some kind of payback. 
Now, it might not be verted as what we see here, but instead it's using the silent treatment or, or maybe subtle digs or withdrawing of privileges or entertaining negative uh, comments from others about them. Now, I pause right here and ask you the question. And I ask myself, is there anything you're doing right now that is a payback for what has been done to you? Now, do a check on that because it might be very, very subtle. While checking his bags at the airport, a man became very nasty with the employee who handled his luggage. For several minutes, he, he belittled this young man. He criticized uh, his every move. Surprisingly, this luggage handler didn't seem troubled by this man's verbal abuse. He just smiled and checked in the man's luggage. Well, after that angry man left, the woman in line, was next in line who saw the whole thing, said to the luggage handler, how do you do it? I mean, how are you able to put up with being treated so poorly? And the young man replied, it's easy. That guy's going to New York, but I'm sending his bags to Brazil. <laughs> See, you may be smiling on the outside, but you're cooking something up on the inside. Feeling rejected? Humiliated by, by someone's refusal? You, you didn't get your own way? You, you, you expected something and you didn't, the person didn't come through? I mean, you were hoping for so much more from this individual. Maybe a friendship, a, a romance, a do life together. Even a phone call or a note would have been nice and nothing. What do you do with that? Well, for Potiphar's wife, it was this, if I can't have him, then I'll make sure no one else has him. I will get him killed. And that's where she's going with us. She used her power to serve herself. And when her evil desires were not fulfilled, she would turn on him in vengeance. Because what she's accusing him of here is no small thing. That day, attempted rape was a capital offense. Joseph, who kept his head in it, was about to lose his head. For verse 16, he says, she kept his cloak beside her until his master, her husband, came home. And so with circumstantial evidence in her hand, she says to her husband, verse 17, that Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. It's amazing. She's able to look into her husband's eyes and lie. She lied about Joseph's intentions. She lied about her own virtue. She presents herself better than she really is. She was a liar. And she was a manipulator. Notice the words there in verse 17. That Hebrew slave, you brought us, came to make sport of me. You see the manipulation there? It's found in three words. You brought us. Potiphar, it is your fault. Your fault. If you hadn't brought him into this home, this would have never happened. She says the same thing down in verse 19. This is how your slave treated me. Yeah, yeah, the slave that at one time she took notice of. She liked that slave he brought into the home until she didn't get her own way. She's a liar. She's a manipulator. This is a dangerous woman. These are all false accusations. There isn't even a thread of truth in what she accuses him of. 
Do you know what it's like to be falsely accused? Maybe not on this big scale, but someone told a lie about you and others are believing it and it wasn't even true. And someone, someone who's supposed to be your friend of yours and, and, and they told a lie about you. Were there false things said about you from those you thought had your back and they turned on you? I mean, how well do you handle it when someone accuses you of something you didn't do? I mean, have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? Ever had people believe that you did it even though you didn't? Now, likely I've shared this with you, at least a portion of it before, but, but during a season in my ministry many years ago, there were lies being spread about some of the leadership in the church, including me. It was a, it was a painful time, to say the least. I remember one conversation with a guy who got all caught up believing the lies from a family member about me. And I, I served with this guy in leadership. I thought he was a friend. We went through good times and bad times together. I officiated his daughter's wedding. But I was being falsely accused, not for anything of a sexual nature, but just accused of saying things I never said. And I remember this conversation, with this phone conversation with him, and I said, but, 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 but you know me better than that, I said to him. You know me better than that. And he replied, I thought I did. Ouch. That's a zinger. That stung. It was all untrue. Nothing hurts as much as when people you thought were for you turn against you. I wanted to lash out. Now, it isn't necessarily wrong. Let me just say this quickly. It isn't necessarily wrong to defend yourself when falsely accused. But there are times... When there is nothing you can do but trust God with the situation, I was forced to do that. And if I kept focusing on some person and what he did to me, I would have no chance of finishing strong. When you're confused, when we're confused by the immediate results, when you trust that God who sees the bigger picture will reward you in due time. And Joseph here wasn't even given the opportunity to defend himself. And he could either live in bitterness and resentment or he could trust God with it. Albert Hubbard said this. He said, the final proof of greatness lies in being able to endure contemptuous treatment without resentment. That's hard. It's easy to say those words and to actually live it. But do you know what it's like to be on the receiving end of mistreatment or, or some false accusation of some kind? But let me put the, the shoe on the other foot for a moment. Have you wrongly accused someone? I mean, it might have been even by your silence when an untruth was spoken about someone in your presence and you said nothing. By your silence, you kind of gave the impression you agreed with the accusation, yet you knew there was another side to the story that it wasn't completely true. Have you, have you pretended to be a person of virtue to the hurt of someone else? You, you made yourself look better as you put the other person in bad lights with half-truths or, or totally uh, false accusations or with innuendos, listen, you need to make that right with that person. And I'll go a step further. The person you falsely accused, but all the others you gave the wrong impression to. The one at the run of the house, 
is run out of the house. Secondly, the one who was wronged for doing right. Look with me at verse 19. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Why is he angry? Against whom is he angry? See, the way it's worded here is deliberately ambiguous. If his anger is directed at Joseph, listen, it is understandable jealousy. Make no mistake about that. His reaction would be a right reaction. He should be outraged that a man he trusted tried to take advantage of his position and advantage of his wife. And so if his anger is directed towards Joseph, it is a righteous anger. But was his anger directed to Joseph? <laughs> Maybe. I have some questions. Potiphar? Have you wondered, or did you wonder, why Joseph would leave such incriminating evidence like his own cloak behind? Was Joseph really not that bright to pick up his cloak before taking off? Potiphar, what about Joseph's integrity? You saw something in Joseph that led you to trust him with your whole household. Potiphar, did this really sound like something Joseph would do? I'd go, and what about your wife? Did she have some questionable behaviors in her past? All right, we don't know any of this. But I think he had his doubts. You know why I think he had his doubts? Well, what Joseph was accused of here, as I said, was a capital offense. And if he truly believed the wife's story, he should have had Joseph executed. And Potiphar was the chief of executioners. He could have got the job done. Potiphar throws him in prison. He must have had his doubts. Further evidence of that is in the next chapter, chapter 40, verse 4. We're going to look at chapter 40 next week. But in verse 4, Potiphar appoints Joseph to be with two criminals in the prison in what seems like some supervisory role. That, to me, doesn't sound like a man who fully believed his wife and lost trust and respect for Joseph. I think that Joseph's integrity must have been so great that there were doubts in Potiphar's mind about his wife's story and that Joseph's integrity saved him even in moments like this. That's what I think. Work it out. That Potiphar is between the proverbial rock and a hard place. You know, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> he doesn't do what his wife says here and doesn't believe her. It's not going to end well for him. He's in a tough spot. But be that as it may, Joseph lands behind bars. This is not pleasant. And the next chapter, the one I just referred to, chapter 40 and verse 15, we hear Joseph's take on all this. He says, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. He calls it a dungeon, not prison. And he says, I have done nothing. For Joseph, he could be glad that his head isn't chopped off, but he's still in this dark and dreary dungeon for something he didn't do. It just isn't fair. It isn't fair. Classic movie, Princess Bride. 
grandson heard the words from Columbo. Well, he was the grandfather, Peter Falk. And the grandfather's reading the story to his grandson. And when he gets to the party, he says, the, the princess married Humperdinck and not Wesley. The grandson cuts in and says, hold it, grandpa. You read that all wrong. She doesn't marry Humberdank. She marries Wesley. I'm sure of it. After all that Wesley did for her, it wouldn't be fair. And the grandpa replies, great wisdom. Who said life is fair? <laughs> Where's that written? Life's not always fair. And the grandson refuses to accept that. And he says, I'm telling you, you're messing up the story. Now get it right. <laughs> Like the grandson, we struggle when things seem unjust and unfair. We long for justice and equity, and that's not wrong. But immediate results can then confuse us. We bang our fists and we say, this is not fair. I mean, if there was ever a time for God to reward this man, Joseph, it would be right here. Shouldn't he be rewarded for saying no to her advances day after day? This is his reward? Thrown in, in prison? Joseph does the right thing and yet his life blows up. He's falsely accused. Might he thought, well, if this is where I would have ended up anyway, I might as well have given in to Potiphar's wife. This is what I get for not sleeping with her? I should have just gone with it. But here's the thing. Joseph made his response, not on the basis of what works, but on the basis of rightness. Did you hear that? This is important. Joseph made his response, not on the basis of what works, but on the basis of rightness. When Potiphar's wife hit on him, he didn't say to her, I can't do this because we're just going to get found out. He didn't say to her, ah, I just don't really think this is going to work out, really. Or, I don't think this is really what's best. No, 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 nothing like that. That would have been pragmatic. No, no, it was, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Verse 9, chapter 39. We spent some time on that last week. But do you see the difference? Joseph wasn't merely a pragmatist, but he was a man of principle. Joseph did what was right. Not simply what worked. And somebody goes, well, that's never going to work. So forget it. I'm not going to do it then. That's not why we do it. Always. What's right? What's right? And yet, Joseph, he finds himself in a dungeon. He was betrayed. He's falsely accused. He was wronged when doing right. And you may be here this morning. And you may feel as though you're, you're trying to do the right thing. And you're really not getting rewarded for it. And you're a little disillusioned here. Why wouldn't God reward you for doing what is right? The immediate results of some choices may be bitter, but don't be confused by that. And this is what really trips us up. Because conversely, we make immoral choices that seem to have immediate benefit. And they're disastrous in the long run. But right moral choices, as difficult as they may be, and may not have immediate benefits, are always better in the long run. What's right? What's right? Don't be confused by the immediate results. You may have done the right thing, yet lost your job. You may have done the right thing, yet lost that relationship. Joseph experienced tremendous loss, yet not for any fault of his own. 
There are many in this room who know what that's like. Loss of a friendship. Loss of a, of a good paying job. Loss of a loved one. Loss of a confidant. Loss of health. Loss of, of acceptance in a certain group. Don't be confused by the immediate results. Let these words of Scripture speak into your life this morning because the, the, the thread of unfair treatment can really unravel us. It's hard to get through that. How does Joseph survive this ordeal? How does he make it through it? Well, my third heading this morning is the one who prospered is the same guy when in prison. The one who prospered is the same guy when in prison. Look with me at the end of verse 20. I already read the beginning. The end of verse 20 says, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And Joseph's the favored one again. Not only was he, was he his dad's favorite and his boss's favorite, unfortunately, Mrs. Potiphar's favorite, but now he's favored by the prison warden. The warden, like Potiphar, uh, like Potiphar saw something in Joseph. Verse 22, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. You see, because of Joseph's faithfulness, combined with God's presence, he was given a high level of supervisory task in prison. We're going to see next week. He has a prison ministry going on here. Once again, we see Joseph making the most of a less than ideal situation. But whether Joseph prospered or Joseph was a prisoner, listen, he was the same guy. Can that be said of us? Whether things are going well, you're going up the ladder. Well, the bottom falls out, you're going down the chute. <laughs> Are you the same person? Do you still walk in integrity? When things go are up and things are down, are you the same guy? Are you the same woman? Are you the same young person? There was a store owner who interviewed a young man for a job. And the store owner asked this young man, he said, if I hire you to work in my store, if I hire you to work in my store, will you be honest and truthful? And the young man answered, I will be honest and truthful whether you hire me or not. That's a good answer. Doesn't matter. Either way, can that be said of you? That no matter your circumstance, you'll be honest and truthful and faithful. Because at this point, Joseph doesn't know if he'll ever get out of prison. He doesn't know if this is where his story ends. He doesn't know. Now on the surface, all that's happened to Joseph is heartbreaking. Where was God when the wife speaks lies? Where was God when he was being falsely accused? Where was God when he was being thrown into this dungeon? Where was God when all seems unfair? We're not left to wonder. Look at verse 23. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Where was God? Right with Joseph. He never left. He never let go of Joseph. 
Many things were going against Joseph. There would be reason for Joseph to be in despair. Because when you do what is right and you suffer wrongly for it, that is the worst. But God was with Joseph. God is for us. Who can be against us? You may be here today and you feel like you've hit bottom. Perhaps you've been on the receiving end of some lie or lies and false accusations, unfounded allegations. Perhaps you feel mistreated in the situation you're in. That even when you're doing what is right, your situation doesn't seem to improve. God knows all the days ordained for you were written in his book, Psalm 139. And if you haven't read Psalm 139 lately, I urge you, read Psalm 139. That, that no lie, however vicious, however evil intention, can ever take the presence of God from you, ever. No loss can ever thwart his loving purposes for your life because God will never let go of you. And so if your experience right now is dungeon-like, listen, God's with you. If you're unemployed, you're feeling unloved by your spouse, you're feeling unappreciated by your children, you're not feeling unconditional love from your parents, you're feeling unnoticed by others and you're stressing by, about life, remember God is with you. He has not abandoned you. Hang in there to see what's next. There was a sign in the window of an English company, English business. It said, we have been established for over 100 years and we've been pleasing our displeasing customers ever since. We have made money, we have lost money, we've suffered the effects of coal nationalization, coal rationing, government control, and bad payers. We have been cussed, discussed, messed about, lied to, held up, robbed, and swindled. And it says, the only reason we stay in business is to see what happens next. I love that. Some of you know that feeling. Others have lied to you and about you, you've suffered loss. Don't despair. Stay in the race to see what happens next. Because God has something for you. Your story isn't over. It isn't over. Listen to this. The temptation. This is very real. Temptation is very real. I went through it in the situation I shared with you earlier. The temptation is very real to think that some individual has the capability to ruin us. Let that sink in. That some person can damage your life in a way that can never be repaired. That just isn't true. No one has that power. God is in charge of your life. All the threads, even the threat of being wronged when you're trying to do right. Don't be confused by immediate results. Don't despair. For God sees beyond your situation to the good that he has in store for you. Focus on that. And not on, the, on some person and what she had, he or she did to you. Many years ago, true story. Many years ago, there lived a man who was having a, a successful ministry in a small English village. People would come from all over to hear him preach from the word. He was making a tremendous impact in the village. Lives were being saved and the whole village and surrounding area was changing. 
One day, everything suddenly changed. A young woman came forward and claimed that this preacher had tried to force himself upon her sexually. And the news spread like wildfire across the countryside. His ministry looked finished. His reputation was ruined. And the thing is, it turned out, it never happened. It never happened. What this woman claimed was all a lie. He had tried to help this woman. Yet she turned on him, and this young preacher suffered deeply with the betrayal of a young woman he had tried to help. She turned on him and was in the process of ruining his ministry for life. He wondered if he ever could recover. He couldn't bear, nor could he undo the accusations made. The betrayal was too much. Now, who could blame him for bitterness? He suffered wrong for doing right. Why didn't he just quit? Who would blame him? It's just not fair. And the immediate results almost got the best of him, but he refused to let bitterness take over his heart. He refused to justify making of wrong choices in the midst of unfair treatment. This falsely accused man wondered if he could ever be used by God again. But there are millions of people who can vouch for the fact that Oswald Chambers was greatly used by God. To this day, his book, my own copy, My Utmost for His Highest, has sold over 13 million copies worldwide and is considered one of the most popular Christian books ever written. Here was a man who was falsely accused, struggled with betrayal, and could have cried out, it's not fair. And he'd be right in saying that. But by God's help, he didn't allow the immediate results to derail him, but he trusted in the one who could see beyond his situation to the good God had for him. Listen. Have you been wronged for doing right? Are you struggling in some way with betrayal, with bitterness, with being unfairly treated. Listen, don't waste your life demanding an explanation. Don't. It will pass on you like that. God has something else for you. And the sooner you can work through it, the sooner you will discover what else God has in store for you of what's next. Of what's next. Work through it. By God's grace you can. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this story. Not just to hold up this man, this true account of a man and what he was able to do in the midst of it and his faithfulness. Because it certainly is that and we want to grab that. It's inspiring. These words are written for us as an example to us and as an encouragement. But in all of that, we also cannot and should not miss the wonderful truth when it says the Lord was with him. God, you're with us. Whatever we're going through, you're with us. You have not let go of us. 
Even when we want to let go of you, you have not let go of us. And we thank you for that wonderful truth that, that, that you stand for us even when everything else is against us. Let that sink in. Let what we've, we've read this morning sink in. And we apply it to our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
amen is right. Amen. Never lets go of us. We take that with us this week. And then I want to leave you with these thoughts. Just I'm trusting you know what the announcements are, right? Pay attention. One thing I do need to say, though, on your way out, if you want to pick up a proposed budget, you can do that. It's on the ministry counter back there. All right. Church, do not become weary in doing what is right, for in due time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. God sees. God knows. God will not forget you and the work done for him. And may the one who promises to never let go of you, who will not be absent even when he appears silent, promises that his presence will be with you always to the very end of the age, to our God whose blessings are beyond what we could ever ask or imagine, be all praise and glory. Amen? Amen. You're dismissed.